And we've got something a little, little different for you today, a little special. This is, as I said, the, the time, we're in the middle of Lent, actually, we're nearing the end of Lent, which is a 40-day preparation uh, in anticipation of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the church calendar, which some of you are very familiar with, and some of you, it's like Christmas, Easter, that's all I know, that's all I care about. Um, those are the two big ones. But there are other, other dates, there are other traditions, there are other dates on the church calendar. And as I, I mentioned a, a moment ago, uh, we celebrate Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is uh, typically traditionally celebrated next Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter Sunday. And you all know about that, Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to have a, a great celebration in two weeks. But today we're going to do something a little different. Um, rather than me giving a big extended uh, sermon, I want to involve you a little bit in this story. And the day we're going to look at today is a day known as Maundy Thursday. So Palm Sunday is a Sunday Jesus enters Jerusalem and people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, which I used to think just meant, hey, we like you, Jesus. But really, the message was, save us now because Rome is driving us crazy. We're oppressed. And if you're really the Messiah, you're going to release us. And so the, the city's in an uproar. And then comes this day before Jesus' death. Good Friday is the death of Christ. And as we said earlier, we're going to remember that and celebrate that uh, at, with our friends at Washington Church and also the Vineyard Church uh, on, on Good Friday. But today, I want to just transport you to Maundy Thursday. We've been going through the book of Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 14. For those of you that may want to follow along, and we'll, we'll put the scripture up as well, but it's an extended passage. It's a very long passage, and rather than me reading it or having uh, someone stand up and recite 60 or so verses, I want you to participate and engage in what it must have been like about 2,000 years ago to be followers of Jesus, what it must have been like to be Jesus, and to enter the story of Maundy Thursday. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. 
but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Passover. Every Jew knew of Passover. They understood it. It was more significant to the Jewish people than the 4th of July is to U.S. Americans. It was a time to look back at what happened. The exodus out of Egypt. The sacrifice made of lambs with blood sprinkled over the doorposts so that the death angel would pass over those Jewish families while inflicting death upon the firstborn of every Gentile in Egypt. For generations, the Passover was celebrated. And on this particular occasion, Jesus, being a good Jew, brought his friends together for the annual celebration. Except in this particular Passover, the elements, the food, the beverages, the drink, the, the experience was completely different. Jesus expanded upon its meaning and thrust new life into an ancient tradition known as the Passover. Jesus took his friends in this upper room and it's interesting to me how he knew in advance. He had made preparations. It wasn't a mistake. I don't think it was even any particular miracle. It's just that he had made, made reservations, if you will, made preparations for this. And how interesting that Jesus not only knew that he would be betrayed, he knew who would betray him. Have you ever been betrayed by a person? Have you ever experienced betrayal? Years ago, there was a, a famous song that asked this question or, or pleaded for this, this response. What if God was one of us? What if God was one of us? What if God understood pain and hardship? What if God knew what it was like to, to deal with Afghanistan, Ukraine, Russia, what, what if God understood what it's like to, to deal with COVID-19 and death and loss? What if God understood what it was like to be hungry and thirsty in prison? Family, God understands. Jesus has been here and done that. And for those of you that have been betrayed at any point in your life, Jesus knows betrayal. Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. If you have your communion elements, we're going to take the bread together. In this moment, Jesus takes the Passover bread and reinterprets its meaning and says, This is my body. What a strange thing to say. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those who take and eat will never be hungry again. Physical hunger, yes, but the spiritual dynamic of the bread. He said, take this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. And in that moment, I don't think the disciples had a clue what he was talking about. The events that take place later make it pretty clear that even though he had been telling them time and time and time again what was going to happen, 
They still didn't believe it. They didn't understand. Their, their eyes were blinded from the reality. But he said, take and eat. This is my body. Eat in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for your body. We remember because we are so prone to forget. And, and we remember, Jesus, that sacrifice, your broken body for us. And we eat now in thanksgiving and remembrance of you in your name. Amen. Let's eat together in remembrance of Christ. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. No amount of good works can do it. No amount of religious activities can do it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is our victory. It washes us white as snow. It is amazing grace because we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We just receive it with gladness with thanksgiving, with deep appreciation. That first Passover night, or I should say the, 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 the Passover night, uh, referring to Maundy Thursday, Jesus said, this, this cup, it's my blood. It, it represents my blood, this new covenant. Again, I'm sure confusion ensued. What new covenant? What is this all about? What do you, what do you mean, Jesus. We know that the, the blood needed to be sacrificed uh, of animals to atone for sins. But Jesus had a new covenant in mind, not merely the old Jewish covenant between God and Abraham and the Jewish people. The blood of Jesus offers complete and whole forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus, we thank you we thank you for your, your blood that washes us white as snow. You, you took the cup and you said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And we pause today, Jesus, to remember you because we so quickly forget to think the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Blood pouring out of your, your head with the crown of thorns. 
blood from your, your wrists and hands with nails, your feet pierced with spikes. And then later, blood and water pouring out of your side. It's an unusual thing to celebrate blood in our culture. And yet, in this context and in the, the new covenant that you made, it is so precious. And so, Jesus, we say, thank you for your blood. And we drink together in remembrance of you. Amen. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Would you please stand? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watching and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But know the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. 
Look, my betrayer is here.
And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi! He exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man followed behind, was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. We said that Jesus knows betrayal. But that's not all Jesus knows and understands. Jesus knows abandonment. He was abandoned all alone. Jesus knows loneliness. His best friends fell asleep in his moment of greatest need. Have any of you experienced loneliness? Have you ever been disappointed by friends Maybe you threw a party and nobody showed up. Maybe you were hurting and nobody noticed. Maybe the very moment that you reached out, you got no response. Jesus knows loneliness. He understands. Jesus knows arrest. One of the things I love about our, our family here at First Alliance is we come from all different backgrounds. This is a very diverse family. 
It's diverse ethnically, it's diverse socioeconomically, it's diverse in terms of ages and generations. And we've all had different experiences. Some of you know arrest. You've been arrested, whether it's justly or unjustly. Jesus knows arrest. A perfect man who broke no laws. They arrested him. Jesus, he knows desertion. All alone. And yet, despite all the pain, all the agony, all the emotional wounds, we often think on Good Friday and the pictures of Jesus and even the cross itself, we think about the pain that was inflicted physically. And there was incredible pain, obviously. It was lethal pain. And yet there was a spiritual dynamic. At one point, as as he's enduring the sins of the whole world on the cross. But even before that, on Maundy Thursday, the emotional pain of being deserted, rested, being lonely, abandoned. Have you ever experienced those things, those feelings, those emotions? Jesus knows. Jesus understands. They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another one made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, Aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty! They all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us! They jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Another brutal scene, as if it couldn't get any worse. That slap was nothing like a Will Smith slap. There was pain and anguish of every kind, false accusations and lies. Has anyone ever told a lie about you? 
Have you ever been falsely accused of something that you didn't do? Some estimate that 20% of people on death row don't deserve to be there. Falsely accused. A horrible thought. Jesus knows what it's like to have lies, rumors, falsehood told against him. Jesus knows humiliation. Not only the slap, but the spit. Has anyone ever spit in your face? Could there be any more humiliating act or gesture that someone can do? And Jesus knows pain. This was just a precursor, of course, of what would be inflicted upon his body. But it was painful. It was horrifying. You know, we kind of have this expectation in our culture that there are good people and bad people and that there are the bad guys that do the bad things. In this instance, the people that were inflicting the most pain were the religious leaders. That's pretty sobering for me to think about as a pastor. See, it wasn't those bad guys out there. It was the religious people that had it all together, that paraded around. Everyone respected them. They perhaps even bowed as they walked by. And they were the ones that were taking the Messiah and preparing him for execution with lies, with deceit, with false accusations. Of course, this was all part of God's plan. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus at all. but it hurt. Jesus knows pain. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servants' girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny him three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. The shortest verse in the Bible says that Jesus wept. As a child, I thought that that phrase, the context of that must have been Jesus hanging on the cross. In fact, it was the death of his friend Lazarus. But in this case, we see another character weeping. We see Peter weeping because he realized that Jesus' outrageous prophecy had come true. And he had been the one to deny Jesus three times. Have you ever been denied has someone ever denied knowing you? Oh, that's not my friend. I don't know that person. Jesus knows denial. And it was just another layer, another piece to the trauma, 
to the pain, to the anguish that he would experience in preparation for Good Friday. Remember, we're still on Thursday. All those things that we celebrate or we remember on Good Friday come after all this suffering, all this anguish. And yet, despite all the pain that he endured, all the suffering, all the agony, Jesus chose to forgive. In fact, he endured it all for this simple mission to offer forgiveness to you and to me. When we celebrate communion, when we think of Good Friday, when we reflect on the events of Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday, it's very bittersweet. Because on the one hand, we want to embrace the darkness, the suffering, the agony. There can be no happy, happy Easter without Good Friday. And that's why I challenge all of you, I encourage all of you to participate on Good Friday. It's not a fun service, it's not a happy service, but there is no resurrection without a death. There is no Easter without Good Friday. But today, and every day, we can celebrate the amazing grace of Jesus that his mission, his purpose, was all for us. As Jesus hung on the cross, it was to make provision and forgiveness of sins for Peter's sins, denying him three times. Forgiving the sins of his followers who had fallen asleep, who had abandoned him, who had left him alone. And praise God for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And I'm here to remind you, family, that nothing you can do can make God love you more than he already does. And nothing can make God love you any less than he already does. And to that end, I'd like to invite you to sing with us one final song in declaration, in celebration that Jesus paid it all.